This is Dr. Catherine Otto. I'm here at the Cardiac Society meeting of Australia and New Zealand talking with David Selamayer about Epstein's anomaly in adults. And I think this is a really interesting topic because we think about this as congenital heart disease and we used to not see it, but we're now seeing it. So what was the session about? Well, the session was really about how do you manage the vast spectrum of Epstein's anomaly in adults in the absence of RCT data. I mean, it's quite rare. Everyone's seen a few cases. There's this enormous morphologic spectrum, and the session was an aggressive surgeon and a conservative physician and a pathologist in the middle, and how do you handle your cases of Epstein's anomaly? And how would you describe the spectrum? I mean, we all have one or two patients, so we don't really see a spectrum individually. What is it, what's the spectrum consist of? Well, there's this extraordinary, there's a clinical spectrum and there's a morphologic spectrum, and they don't exactly match up. So the clinical spectrum is if you take fetal diagnosis of Epstein's anomaly, there's a 50% death rate before birth, even without elective termination. Whereas if you take an adult presentation of Epstein's anomaly, most commonly with an arrhythmia or an incidentally heard murmur, the 20-year survival rate is 90%. So there's this tremendous clinical spectrum of outcomes. And then the morphologic spectrum is amazing. There's a little bit of septal leaflet displacement that you might just see coincidentally on an echo in someone with mild tricuspid regurgitation, right through to an imperforate tricuspid valve with a horrible small myopathic right ventricle and a really squashed left heart with poor cardiac output. So there's this extraordinary clinical and morphologic spectrum. And as I say, they don't match up exactly. Sometimes you'll see an adult with quite good functional capacity who's got an enormously dilated right atrium and atrialized right ventricle, a tethered tricuspid valve, a small functional RV and a squashed left heart, and you're surprised by how well they are. So it's a very tricky condition because of the large morphologic and clinical spectrum of disease presentation. So what options for treatment are there in adults? So there, there was a terrific talk by the head of cardiac surgery at Hospital for Sick Kids in Toronto, Glenn Van Arsdell. And Glenn described this new operation for tricuspid valve repair in the setting of Epstein's anomaly called the cone repair, C-O-N-E. And Glenn described it as the most important advance in congenital heart surgery in the last 10 years, which is a very big call. Um, and what he described, which is now well practiced across the USA and many other countries, is rather than the Carpentier repair where you had a hinge point of the anterosuperior leaflet being brought up to the tricuspid valve annulus, mm -hmm. in the cone repair you entirely cut out the valve and you reconstruct a cone of valve tissue going down from the level of the annulus. So you totally reconstruct the valve and it gives much more reliable and reproducible results. However, the residual problem with that operation is you get a great valve, but if the ventricle is myopathic and thin and doesn't contract, of course, the cone operation won't help that aspect of the Epstein's pathology. So we had a wonderful presentation from a very aggressive surgeon who basically says the indication for operating on Epstein's is a deformed valve. And he reported his rather excellent results, at least in the short term, from eight to 10 year old children in a children's hospital setting. Um, I, on the other hand, took a slightly more conservative approach based on our quite extensive experience with Epstein's of, of over a couple of hundred cases where we reserved surgery for the appearance of symptoms, noting that symptoms could be brought out on an exercise test. So we routinely exercise people, see what their VO2 max is. We tend to move more towards repair if the valve looks repairable rather than replaceable. We tend to reserve electrophysiologic 
interventions for those with refractory arrhythmia to simple medical therapies. And we reviewed a series of 51 patients who were adults with Epstein's anomaly over the last 20 years where we took this relatively conservative approach of leaving people alone even if their Epstein's looked pretty bad on an ultrasound provided they had a good VO2 max and were free from arrhythmia. And with our conservative strategy, we had a 95% survival between the age of 16 and 55 years, which is about how long our follow-up went. And we found that about 50% of the people needed arrhythmia intervention during that average of 20 years follow-up. And we found about 40% of people needed tricuspid valve surgery. Around half the time that could be a repair of a valve with or without a bi-directional glen. And just to pause for a moment on that, if the right ventricle is myopathic and is having trouble coping with the entirety of the cardiac output, sometimes a bidirectional glen shunt where the superior vena cava is anastomosed onto the pulmonary artery allows the patient to come through surgery much better in the short and the long term. So about half of, well, about 40% of our patients had a tricuspid valve repair or replacement with or without a bidirectional glen. So this is not RCT data, but it was very interesting to hear one group who were very aggressive and reported good short-term results, and our group who were more conservative and had very good results in terms of overall survival and freedom from arrhythmia. Yeah, I think that's a very interesting point of view, um, and especially with all kinds of valve disease, we worry about, you know, should we operate on the person who's basically asymptomatic? And, you know, an Epstein's patient who's feeling well and, like you say, has a good exercise capacity and VO2 max, is there any other parameter, though, like in terms of the right ventricle getting a certain size or how to even decide it is the right ventricle? You know, is there a prophylactic uh, time to intervene in these patients, or is it better to just wait for symptoms? Well, that's a very difficult question in the absence of sort of class A data. But I will make one important point, and that is it's not analogous to mitral regurgitation, where the tendency over the years has been to operate earlier and earlier, and there's really good results with that strategy. Because in Epstein's anomaly, the right ventricle is almost invariably abnormal, and the problem is not just the tricuspid valve, you have to have a much more individualised approach. So if the functional part of the right ventricle looks very thin and myopathic and has pork contraction. If it can't generate a TR jet of 30 millimetres mercury in the absence of pulmonary stenosis, if the left ventricular end diastolic diameter is 35 millimetres or less in an adult, they're all factors that would allow you to leave the asymptomatic patient unoperated because the risk of the operation is likely high. On the other hand, if the valve looks good for a cone repair, if the functional RV is thick and contracts well, if the left ventricle is of an adequate size, and if the VO2 max on formal testing is 70% or less, then you can make an excellent case for operating to prevent late problems. And then when people do develop late problems, either because they weren't followed at your center or at, at congenital center or because they present late, is transplant an option in these patients and how often is that needed? Yes, transplant is definitely an option. It seems to be more needed in the paediatric age group, although a limiting factor there is with the enormous hearts that some of the neonates and children get with Epstein's anomaly, lung hypoplasia can be a limiting factor. But with the late presenting Epstein's that's extremely unfavourable with a sick person who's an adult age, certainly transplantation is a good option in, in such cases. And just a final last question, what's the role of medical therapy in these patients if they're asymptomatic? Is there any role at all or is it basically treating their arrhythmias and heart failure symptoms as they develop? 
Yes, there, there's no defined role as yet for medical therapy in the asymptomatic patient with the caveat that asymptomatic has to be tested out by doing some kind of exercise measurement. But unfortunately, no medical therapy for the myopathic right ventricle has yet, yet been defined as successful. Great. Well, thank you very much for talking to me. It's been a pleasure. And thank you for coming to visit us in Australia. Thank you.